Hey guys, welcome back to Blood, Sweat, and Popcorn. John here, and this is a retrospective of 1985's Fright Night. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious, and don't call me Shirley. They call it a shark, not the shark. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Wake up. We're tonight's entertainment. This some serious gourmet. I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown. I you. you? Do something or just stand there and bleed. How's that for a slice of fried gold? Here's Johnny! The middle stretch of the 1980s horror scene was infused with creatures and masked killers. The classic monsters weren't the prominent figureheads they once were. Werewolves had just launched back on the screen in the early part of the decade with classics such as The Howling and an American werewolf in London. But the vampire and his curse of living forever had taken a back seat, resigned to watch the torch being carried by teenage slashers. It was 1985's Fright Night, written and directed by Tom Holland, that reintroduced the gothic romanticism of the undead films of old and placed it right next door. This is a film that is riddled with flavors of the decade it was released in and still holds up well in 2020. It is the best parts of Dracula and Salem's Lot churned through a processor of 80s components like neon lights, synth music, and terrible wardrobe choices. Do you remember that sweater in the nightclub that Jerry wears? You soon will. The story is simple, but fun. The cast is terrific, and it still has enough memorable moments to make it worth coming back to year after year. Let's talk about what happens here. Young Charlie Brewster, played by William Ragsdale, is the typical male teenager. He's nervous, horny, and he hates math class. His girlfriend Amy, played by Amanda Bierce, longs for a true connection with him and his best friend, Ed, played by Stephen Joffreys, just wants some respect. He has a new neighbor next door, the handsome and charismatic Jerry Dandridge, played with immortal classic fashion by Chris Sarandon. Now, after seeing a few women go into Jerry's house and never come out, Charlie gets suspicious that Jerry might be a creature of the night. His suspicions are confirmed, when Jerry pays Charlie a frightening visit one evening, a brilliant scene, but more on that later. So Charlie turns to and enlists the help of a local TV personality, vampire hunter Peter Vincent, who also feels the strain of mass killers being the main scary draw as he is recently fired from his monster movie day job. Roddy McDowell gives the role of Peter Vincent a flair of delightful cowardice to contrast with his ridiculous undead wisdom. I believe in vampires. I am deadly serious, Charlie proclaims, begging Peter for help. Broke and annoyed, Peter declines his request. Seeing that Peter's fight with vamps is over, Charlie enlists help from his friends. They think he's crazy, but they're devoted enough to help Charlie find some peace of mind. Now, the back half of this movie is so fun. It's part chase and part hunt. 
Jerry abducts Amy after stalking Charlie, Ed, and her throughout the streets. Amy looks like a long-lost love of Jerry's. This, coupled with his annoyance with Charlie, spurs his lust to possess her. The film eventually climaxes in a battle inside Jerry's house, which looks like its interior design was modeled after a castle instead of a soft suburban aesthetic. Every character here is nuanced and unique and all brought to life in wonderful fashion. There is a sting of 80s cynicism. Everyone has a little bit of a jerk streak to them, which is kind of fun. The highlight, of course, is Chris Sarandon's Jerry. He postures as an aristocratic douche, but is still as charming as the script needs him to be. I've watched all your films, Mr. Vincent, and I found them very amusing. He really is an asshole. Jerry's caretaker, Billy Cole, played by Jonathan Stark, saunters smartly as the dayman to Jerry's nighttime vampire playboy. Roddy McDowell's Peter Vincent is silly and squirmy, but rises to the occasion to mentor Charlie on his quest to destroy Jerry. Amy and Ed both labor tirelessly to help their friends snap out of his delusion that Jerry is a vampire. They both suffer for the loyalty as the film progresses. Charlie has little empathy most of the time. He just wants to be a hero and destroy the monster. But in many ways, Charlie is the sore on the vampire's lips, not just everyone else's. He tries to sneak into Jerry's basement, spies through Jerry's window, and brings police to Jerry's door. Naturally, this really pisses Jerry off. Charlie is cold to Amy treats Ed like crap and is oblivious to Peter Vincent's employment problem. He is blinded by his testament for needing professional assistance to survive his current vampire problem. Charlie kind of sucks as a main character, if I'm being honest. Granted, Charlie's motivations are pure. Being directly threatened by a vampire isn't something to rebuff. Collectively, the span of the cast is filled with fun talent that taps into distinguished horror archetypes while still having their own identity. Why I keep coming back to Fright Night are the incredible fun and memorable scenes that are constructed within. When Jerry first attacks Charlie in his room, like I said, I will come back to it, we see a true glimpse of the monster underneath all of those good looks. He repels a crucifix and nearly chucks Charlie out of the window until he is stabbed with a pencil of all things. That's so 80s, right? Do you realize how much trouble you've caused me? Spying on me. Almost disturbing my sleep this afternoon. Telling policemen about me? You deserve to die, boy. Course. I could give you something I don't have. A choice. Forget about me, Charlie. Forget about me, and I'll forget about you. What do you say, Charlie? <laughs> Fool. <laughs> When Ed and Amy both succumb to vampirism and attack Peter and Charlie respectively, we have wonderful moments of true horror and dread. 
These vampires are so fun to watch when their gloves come off. There is a fun dancing scene in a club featuring uh, killer moves, wild hair, and that awful, awful sweater that Jerry wears. Amy is seduced by him while she spins on the dance floor, appearing solo in the mirror. Pretty fun scene. I love it. Speaking of seduction, Jerry's cornering of Ed in an alley is a treat just as well. His manipulation of Ed's vulnerability is a tactic we've seen a hundred times before. But Jerry's voice is made for a vampire. It still works as magic on me today. But the absolute best scene in Fright Night comes at about the halfway mark. Ed and Amy financially lure Peter out to, quote, convince Charlie that Jerry isn't a vampire. After setting up a meeting via phone call, you know, book your appointment with your local vampire today. Our squad of heroes visit Jerry's house, armed with holy water and hope. Hope that Jerry will pass Peter's test and Charlie will put all of his hysteria to rest. Charlie is oblivious to the setup, still thinking there is genuine effort to root out the evil. After a few humorous exchanges between Jerry and crew, it looks like Charlie's theory will be debunked. Our hero aggressively tries to get Jerry to reveal his coffin or grab a crucifix, only to be stopped mid-stride by Peter. And that alarmed exchange of glances between Jerry and Billy is priceless in that moment. It isn't until the grand reveal of Jerry not casting a reflection in Peter's mirror that true panic sets in. After Charlie and company leave, Jerry sees the shard of mirror glass on the floor and knows he's been made. This is the turning point of the film, and it sets up the thrilling second half. Now, there are plenty of throwback vampire motifs in Fright Night that acknowledge its roots, but a few to mention are Jerry rising like a springboard out of his coffin, Billy's watchdog devotion, and the hunter lore a la Van Helsing that frames out Peter Vincent. Oh, and of course, Evil Ed's evil red glowing eyes. Now 35 years old, Fright Night still has the same bite it had upon its release. It is a strong blend of horror and humor, and that's what makes it a winner. Well, that about does it for this retrospective. I have one more coming up pretty soon. Um, you can find this uh, in print over at crprights.com. It was published there first, and it's being recorded now with permission by my editor, Connor. Thanks, Connor. Appreciate it. And y'all, I have some more stuff coming up before 2020 closes out. So stick around, hang out. And this is John, Blood, Sweat, and Popcorn. And until next time, take care, guys.